0: Hi everyone and welcome to a new episode of Wrestling With Memories. I am your host Fash, the Million Dollar Fan and as ever I'm joined by my co-host Wax The Brain Hussein. How's it going Wax?
1: It's going good
0: Fash, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. How's the time off before you start the new job? It's been relaxing but it's going by all too quickly. Just the way it is. But um, talking of um, the current time, um, you know, there's been some developments in... Um, current wrestling and I know once again we don't focus on it but sometimes it's worth talking about and there's been some Hall of Fame uh, inductee announcements um, of uh, Kane, Eric Bischoff and the Great Kali, otherwise known as Dilip Singh of the Asian community uh, Indian
1: legend um, do you have any thoughts on these names? Well I shared a, a little video with you earlier in the week where um, Kane was on the bump I think and Undertaker had announced that he was getting inducted into the Hall of Fame. And I thought it was great that Kane actually showed some real emotion. He was actually very touched the fact that he was getting inducted into this Hall of Fame with the, with the legends. And I thought that was a great, <clears throat> great little video just to show, actually, you know, this means quite a lot to, to some wrestlers. Um, and certainly Kane is very deserving, isn't he, of a of a Hall of Fame entry. Um, but I'm very interested to hear what you think about Eric Bischoff finally being inducted into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I mean, starting off with Kane, definitely, I'd encourage anyone to check out
0: that clip if you haven't seen it i think not just kane the undertaker is quite emotional as well they've got such a bond and certainly deserved and i think for somebody that started off as being isaac yankum dds and eventually you know sort of go with kane and actually the longevity of the kane character is incredible when you probably would have thought at the time he'd be one of these gimmicks that'd be around for you know a feud with the undertaker and that'd be it but no he's been able to follow the undertaker's path so that's certainly well deserved Eric Bischoff. I think it is deserved. I think most people would be fair. Um, you know, a lot of what we see in modern professional wrestling is based on, you know, his thoughts. Now, he, despite him defending himself and it's, you know, other people's faults later on and the whole issue with Time Warner um, from 98 onwards, but, you know, the fact that live Monday Night Wrestling him bringing in the cruiserweights and a mainstream audience and all the other things he did with the NWO, um, the way Nitro was presented, just overall kind of the way people consume television. You know, Eric Bischoff's got his hands all over that. And I think, you know, it's Vincent Mann's Hall of Fame at the end. He decides who goes in and when. Um, But when you're thinking of, you know, important personalities in professional wrestling, Eric Bischoff um, certainly belongs there in my view. Um,
1: And what about the great Cali? Well, he's a world champion, so on that basis, I think he deserves his entry. Although I think you were thinking it's more of a money-making scheme. I think it is.
0: It's for, for the Indian audience, isn't it, really? Um, you know, Kali is supposed to be a great human being. He does a lot for the people back in India and certainly his village. But in terms of an entering performer, he was, you know, one of the worst. And, um, you know, overall, not, we'll not great. Say I think the market, you know, the Indian market is huge, so that's what they're pandering to. I well, like, if well, you like have, great Kali. Yeah,
1: if you can have the Bushwhackers in, then you can have the Great Kali
0: uh, And Coco Beware and people like that, I guess. But, oh, um, whoa, whoa,
1: whoa, Coco Beware is <laughs> a bona fide legend in my
0: book. So And your book is yeah. quite a small book. But I'd say, yeah, I mean, you know, for the human being is, and the fact the Indian market is big, you can see why. But I think from this class, you know, it is about Kane and Eric Bischoff from what I've seen, and, and certainly Kane's the emotional one. Um, the only thing I'll say before we move into the topic of today is – um Actually, two things I want to say. First one is I'm never going to shoot an episode again where I've just freshly shaved because I was so swollen as if Rikishi had done the stink face <laughs> on me multiple times. So I've learned my lesson and I apologized for viewers who had to see me freshly um, shaved and looking
1: very swollen. And, and talking of somebody who looked a bit weird, The Fiend, what do you think of this new look? Well, a Flash, you know, I'm a big fan of The Fiend character. Uh, but his appearance on Fastlane was a big dud for me, Um, and I'm not quick to criticise the WWE usually, but I thought this was an epic failure. Everything from his mask and his outfit was just ridiculous. It was as if he'd been to the bargain basement um, to get those tights and that top. I just thought it was ridiculous.
0: Yeah, I mean, recently we've talked about Kane unmasking for the first time and how lame that was, the Shockmaster. The look is very much, as you say, very cheap and cheerful and I was a bit shocked by it, it was um, certainly reminded me of one of your old school Halloween costumes and attempts at a mask but um it is what it is and let's see how it develops from here but yeah that was um I was disappointed with that look as well and it just came across very I guess campy but talking of fiends um let's move on to our topic of the day and one of the original fiends and maybe the most famous fiend of all and um, the undertaker and the event which had his first ever WWE title shot
1: right fash we're almost at the end of 1991 uh, but we've got the survivor series to go uh, a big event on the wwe wwf calendar usually um, i've got to say it's always one of my favorite events just because it's something a bit different they've always had these uh, elimination matches whether they've got four on four or five on five and actually it was some of the first uh, videos that we watched from our shop that we've referred to previously yeah some of the first videos were the survivor series of 88 89 where you had you know tons of wrestlers in each match and i just loved that concept yes
0: yeah, so what i still love about it was the fact that you had all these different feuds and they all come together in these elimination matches but this was actually the first survivor series where there was a wwe title match
1: Yep, yeah, the gravest challenge between hulk hogan and the undertaker it's almost like a You know, a seminal moment for The Undertaker's very early career. He's only been there one year. His debut was last year at the Survivor Series. um, And he's had an amazing year. He's been built as this monster heel. And he's, you know, really performed at that level throughout. And he's now up against the man of the WWF, Hulk Hogan. Um, And you're right, it's the first time there's been a non-elimination match. And I wonder why that was, but maybe it's because they wanted to add a title match to this show to just make it mean a little bit more.
0: Yeah, I guess it so. was that because they had... It was a mix, isn't it? This one's a, a bit weird in the sense that it's the first Survivor Series where it's on Thanksgiving Eve rather than Thanksgiving Day. It's the first team where the teams don't have names. I don't know if you noticed that. Leading up to this, every event would have your know, teams. And after this as well, I think in 93, 94, they brought the, the names back. But it's just one of those where maybe they were trying to add something more to it. And they felt that, you know, the elimination matches themselves wouldn't work and they needed a title match in there. And as you say, you know, really positioning the Undertaker there to make it a big, big event. Um, And obviously we've covered the background to this and and the viewers can check out in the archives in terms of the angles leading into this big match. But this was the centerpiece. But with it was those elimination matches. And I think maybe if you talk us through how the event kicked off and, you know, let's take it from there.
1: Well, opening the show, we've got uh, Jack Tunney um, announcing the reinstatement of Macho Man Randy Savage. Uh, He also announces that Macho Man will not be taking part in the match later on this evening um neither would jake uh so that would end up being a three-on-three match um, jack tunney was very uh much a tv character at this point um in the wwf over these few weeks he probably had the most exposure that he'd ever had um to the tv screens uh, we talked a lot about jack tunney in previous episodes yeah um, but for, for me this was the original screwjob man
0: because you know they sold it all the way that the matchman would be appearing on this uh, event and you know to, to do recap the me- the match was supposed to be Sid um, the LOD and the big boss man against Jake the Snake Roberts the natural disasters in IRS Sid gets injured they're then lobbying for the matchman and the assumption is after you know we discussed in our last episode the great snake bite angle that you know the matchman going to get drafted into this and before this event was a, a kind of tv promotion show the Survivor Series showdown and even in that you know they're promoting the fact let's reinstate the Macho Man and you know so people are assuming that's going to happen here and a lot of people would have paid for it so suddenly the event opens and they're saying actually you know Macho Man can't wrestle tonight and Jake's not wrestling tonight they'll wrestle at this Tuesday in Texas a new event that they basically positioned that we'll talk about in more detail um, so to me this was a bit of a screw job to be honest
1: well, Vince loves a screw job, doesn't he? So Survivor
0: Series, love- so this is the first one. It was not 1997, <clears throat> maybe it was 1991. But as you say, um, what I found funny here was um, Jack Tunney essentially saying that, you know, it was his fault that, you know, Macho Man had got hurt. And, but he trusts Jake the Snake Roberts that, that, <laughs> that he didn't know the snake was venomous. And also he bans all sorts of reptiles from the ring. So that's his big, uh, big uh, announcement here. But as ever, Jack Tunney looks clueless doing all this.
1: Yeah and we'll talk a lot more about Tuesday in Texas in uh, another episode but this Well I think
0: in this episode we'll be talking about it because for me my problem with this event is and I'm going to jump in here to argue with you straight away is this whole event is just a commercial for this Tuesday in Texas so I guess we will be talking about it as we go through but um, for me this event suffers because of that but um, Yeah so I was going to say the exact
1: same thing throughout the show you know the mentioning of this Tuesday in Texas is you know rampant It's, it's pretty much everywhere uh, and they're building it out, uh, up for that uh, extra pay-per-view that they've got for the very first time. But um, let's kick off the show by going straight into match one. It's actually the debut of Ric Flair in the WWF pay-per-view. Who would have thought his debut would be opening uh, the show? But uh, I, I see why they've done it. Uh, it's to give this match some extra importance. It's Ric Flair, the Million Dollar Man, uh, Warlord and the mounty versus Roddy Piper, Bret Hart, the British Bulldog and Virgil. Um, certainly when I reel off those names, there's some bona fide Hall of Famers and there's a couple of um, which of these are not like the others. Um, <laughs> so I want to let you decide which of them Fash um, doesn't quite earn a Hall of Fame spot just yet.
0: Who are you to doubt Virgil and the Warlord? But I'm I'm guessing you're referring to those two, yeah. Um, I am indeed. Yeah, so they didn't really fit. But as you you know, as was the case, we've mentioned that feuds. There was feuds within feuds here, um, and you know, Piper with Flair, Brett with the Mountie. Warlord and the British Bulldog, which has been going on for decades, it seems like, and of course, Virgil and the Million Dollar Man. And as I'm mentioning that show, um, Survivacy Shodan, which was taped ahead of this to promote the match uh, show, sorry, the Macho Man, the Million Dollar Man defeats Virgil and gets his Million Dollar title back. So for me, that was a signal that they'd lost faith in the Virgil uh, experiment, but he was very much part of this um, elimination match.
1: He certainly was. Um, the other thing that was quite interesting around about this, is they'd started to... Um, pixel out the real world champion belt which is we all know is the the real wcw big gold belt um, on tv it was announced by jack tunney that it was because they didn't want to show rick flair as a champion who didn't actually beat anyone for the title but behind the scenes it was actually because there was a court case ongoing between the wcw and wwf um over the that belt appearing on wwf tv and actually even on some house shows Rather than use the, that real gold belt, they used an old WWF tag team belt sometimes for, for Ric Flair, um, just so they would avoid getting into any serious trouble. Um, so that was a, a fun Well, that was fact. the
0: thing, as you're saying. So, yeah, just with the nuts leading up to this, you know, the superstars, tapings, etc., he has got the big gold belt. But actually what happened was, um, as you say, the case was going on and then they settled Ric Flair got that bond that we've discussed in previous episodes in the Ric Flair episode and they had to return the belt actually and therefore, as you say, they had the tag team belt, but that would look odd, so then they would digitize it, but the storyline behind it is what you've outlined, so this is the first time he does come out, I guess, on a preview or a live event with the title uh, which is the tag team title, but that's why it's um, digitized and blurred out for the audience, Um, but still continuing on with the gimmick.
1: Yeah, I mean, the match itself, I thought was quite fun seeing all these uh, really, you know, high quality wrestlers in action. It was quite fast paced. Um, You know, we had Ric Flair in the ring doing his Flair flops, which he seemed to do every five minutes. Um, (laughs) He did so many of them. Yeah, that's true. It was was a bit ridiculous. But um, I thought Roddy was really fun throughout the match. He's just such a charismatic wrestler when he's in the ring. He's just, you know, he's so fun to watch. Uh, He's very hyper, uh, as if he's had a lot of sugar before he's coming to the ring. Um, and obviously you've got bret Hart Ted DiBiase, you know top quality wrestlers we've only got a couple of eliminations early on the british bulldog and the warlord yeah um but and then we have the really screw job finish Fash, which um
0: yeah it was it was odd this one um I know what you're saying, you know, they opened with this to give it some sort of kind of importance, but I thought it was really weird, the placing. I find the placing of the matches in general in this event quite weird. But um, as you say, it's like, I think, 10 minutes before the first elimination happens. And it's the British Bulldog who I think Ric Flair eliminates. Um, and then later on, Roddy Piper eliminates Warlord in a similar fashion to the Bulldog elimination. And then, yeah, the the ending is um of a melee. And um, I think everyone in the ring gets disqualified, but Ric Flair's outside the ring and therefore he's the sole survivor, or have I got it wrong? Is it the other way around, that everyone outside gets disqualified? And I think as the-
1: everyone outside the ring gets disqualified, but it, and the result is the same. Ric Flair wins the yeah. first uh, WWF pay-per-view match. Um, he is the sole survivor. Uh, a very screwy finish, but I think the yeah. main thing here was they couldn't really afford Piper to lose or Ric Flair to lose by a proper uh, decision, so this was the best of what they could possibly do. Yeah, I think
0: it was probably the best match of the night, but I still felt they could have done a bit more because leading into this, you had the mountie Bret Hart feud that started. The Mountie had shocked Bret Hart on an episode of Superstars. They didn't really do much with each other here. Virgil and Million Dollar Man was continuing, but, you know, not much there. Um, I did like the flurry between Piper and Flair. I think for me, it was for people here. It was Bret Hart doing his stuff, Million Dollar Man, Ric Flair and Piper, and they kind of brought the energy to it. It was a relatively long match, but yeah, the ending, I think if you're trying to show Ric Flair in a strong manner, it could have been better, but he's a sole survivor, so you can brag about that. Then we move into an interview segment, don't we? Because it's the, the macho
1: man coming out to cut a promo. Yeah, and we've covered the Macho Man and the Jake the Snake feud um, in our previous episode, so please check that out. Um, It will have been released by the time you see this, so um, enjoy that. And we cover there the the excellent promos that both the Macho Man and Jake the Snake do on this show, really, again, just building up to this Tuesday in Texas pay-per-view, so we're we're not going to cover that in a lot of detail here. The problem with having such a Hall of Fame decked-out match one um, is that when you come to match two, you've probably got, you know... I'm not going to say eight, but certainly six or seven of the worst in ring performers in WWF history, or at least as part of this era. Uh, match two is Hacksaw, Jim Duggan, Sergeant Slaughter, Tito Santana, and the Texas Tornado against Colonel Mustafa, um, Hercules, the Berserker, and Skinner. Um, Fash, I mean, that's. Just I'm, what I'm, I'm, there.
0: Listen, this is the match that I'm excited about talking about the most here today because yeah on the heel side that's probably the worst survivor series team in history right um there's a lot of fodder here but um what's interesting is you know you know me right my whole thing is you know when people used to leave or come you know i'd be intrigued by that and other kind of back behind the scenes situations and actually this match changed quite a bit so i don't know if you're aware but the original team was supposed to be hacksaw jim duggan ricky the dragon steamboat the Texas Tornado and Jim the Anvil Nightheart taking on Colonel Mustafa, uh, Skinner Berserker and a character by
1: the name of Big Bully Buzik. Do you remember Big Bully Music at all? You know I, I didn't until recently I watched a Madison Square Garden show and he was uh, on the show at that point and I'd never seen him before and I don't think I'd seen him after that either. Yeah, so he was like, it's really interesting. I think he came in around about August time and he was gone by the time of the Survivor Series.
0: And he was this kind of 1920s style bully character, big mustache, um, had this kind of bowler hat. And he was managed by debutant Harvey Whippleman, um, who stuck around the WWE. And actually, the story behind it is Sid wanted Harvey Whippleman in the WWE. Um, he, he was known as Downtown Bruno and he brought him in, but you know, Sid's a babyface. So at the same time, they're bringing in. Um, Big Bully music, um, who'd been on the Independence, And, you know, the character was supposed to be this bully character um, that would, you know, do silly things like, you know, he'd pop the balloons of children and, you know, just bully the announcers and stuff like that. But for whatever reason, it didn't click. And I was actually um, listening to a shoot interview of him I found randomly on, on YouTube. And it was a thing where he admitted that it just wasn't working for some reason. And Vince wanted a certain situation and certain kind of you know behavior from him and it just wasn't clicking he actually felt being that bully and going to a degree that went so he just couldn't really do it um (laughs) so what actually happened is leading into the survivor series you know he's on this team And on all the kind of promos and the updates, he's there. And even, you know, the Survivor Series Showdown event before this, he's still listed. But this goes back to the taping schedule issue that used to happen here. Events were taped weeks in advance, so be it Superstars Challenge. So he's still advertised there, but he'd quit by this point. And that's why on the day of the event, they announced that Hercules is on the heel team. Um, and we don't see him again. And sadly, he passed away a few years ago. But, you know, he he was an ex-powerlifter and an ex-law enforcement guy. But um, he came across a, as a pretty decent guy in, in, the, in the interviews that I've seen. But, yeah, he was a kind of um, go and get a coffee, you come back and he's gone character. Um, and as memories I said, you know, I think he lost to various people. Um, and bleeding into his last superstars, he loses to Bret Hart prior to that said had demolished him and he was in a feud with the brooklyn brawler and that tells you that you're probably on your way out um, on the other side of things and i'm keen to talk about this ricky steamboat who mentioned um you know he was in and out as well and as we say vince was trying to treat him as a new character the dragon until others would mention his history and then vince would have to acknowledge it but um he's also advertised on this team originally but leading into it once again superstars tapings he quit and the story behind it is that he was asked to job to The Undertaker, cleanly, um, and IRS, and he didn't like that. And he said that he was promised main um, main event spot, but he didn't want to do it. And he was saying he was asked to stretch her out twice, according to Ricky Stimbo. Now, that doesn't really add up to me, because IRS has never <laughs> done anything to anyone which leads to a stretcher job. And I'm thinking maybe he was referring to The Undertaker's body bag. Um, but ultimately, the situation is that, you know, Ricky Steamboat leaves and he's gone. And actually, the match that he was probably supposed to get demolished in, uh, Texas Tornado, gets beaten pretty easily by the Undertaker leading into this. The last guy I'm going to mention is Jim the Anvil-Nightheart. And um, he is kayfabe injured before this match. So he has a match with Rick Flair on Superstars. And Rick basically beats him pretty easily and then puts the figure four leg lock on him again. He's hobbling to the back and the Beverly Brothers attack him. And that's going to set up a uh, future feud, potentially with another newcomer coming in that we will discuss to to team up with Jim Nightheart. So there was so many changes going on to this. It's a match that should mean nothing, right? But there was so many things happening. So leading into this, Sergeant Slaughter is now on this team. And the story behind that was post SummerSlam. suddenly Sergeant Slaughter wanted his country back. And they showed various vignettes of him trying to, you know, become a patriot again um, and it ends with him actually saving hacksaw jim duggan from a beat down and that then leads to him being announced on the team at the survivor series showdown so there's
1: so the story behind all of this is more interesting than the match which was the pits right it was terrible and, uh, i mean the match itself we're not going to talk about it in detail uh, Fash have suggested we should do a, a, a watch along with this match because it was that bad and I think the audience would love to to hear us uh, comment on some of the inform- some of the stuff that was going on. Um, I mean, it was a pretty easy win in the end for for Hacksaw's team. Um, Hacksaw and Sergeant Slaughter, I think, eliminated um, the Berserker as the as the soul, as the final. Yeah, I think uh, all game. the all the heels
0: lose here, and and the baby faces are a triumphant. Um, so it's pretty easy. i say Berserker is probably the only one they give a little bit of time to. And, you know, we'll talk about the Berserker and Skinner and all these other characters um, in, in the coming weeks. Okay,
1: Fash, we're into our world title match and it's not even the main event. It's match number three. What's all that about? Well,
0: that's the thing here. As I said, this, the placing of everything in this match was, was really weird. But, you know, I'm going to address why. They were debuting a new pay-per-view and it was going to be six days after this one. It was called This Tuesday in Texas. Vince McMahon thought that Tuesday night could be the secondary night for pay-per-views. And this whole event, they're just promoting Tuesday in Texas. And we understand why the placing of this match is where it is because, you know, it becomes a infomercial for that event. And that's all they're talking about here. So yeah, it's a really weird placing. And I remember at the time, even as a kid watching this thinking, why is this match here because i was like there's still some other matches left because you know you you knew the lineup so i found it really weird in terms of placing um but yeah i mean what was your views on this match is the undertaker's first title defense and you know hulk hogan's gravest
1: challenge indeed i mean i think one of the other reasons this was probably down here still at this time of the wwf um you know you know they didn't have a lot of Heels coming on top in a final match. They always wanted to send the crowd away happy, and so this was a sign of you know what was going to be the result of this match, um, and the result is that Undertaker will will win his first title, um, and he's only twenty five, I think, which makes him. Possibly the third youngest. Um, oh, I think at this point, yeah, he will, So at this point, he's the youngest. At this point, he's the youngest. He was, yeah, yeah, but you're right. Over time, he, I think, would probably be the third after um, Brock and Randy, Randy Orton, and Brock. Yeah. So uh, that just goes to show how much faith he had in his character and him as an individual. At this point, obviously, that faith might not last very long. Uh, initially, uh, uh, with Tuesday in Texas coming up shortly, the match itself, um, not a great match. This is a bad match, man.
0: it's a bad match.
1: It's a, it's a bad match because I think Undertaker is still very early on in his career uh, working this type of character and you've got to remember the Undertaker character is somebody who doesn't feel pain he can't really be knocked down he does get eventually knocked down in this match you know so there's only so much you can do with that and I think later on in years they, they acknowledge that and you know slowly move away from that and Hulk Hogan we know he's got some some great sort of finishes to his matches but throughout the match you know he, it's mostly he's taking a bit of punishment he's doing his little heelish Moves on the Undertaker, um, which we talked about before as well. Uh, but really, the, the most interesting thing about this is the ending itself, um, and something that we probably you know have remembered um, for a very long time. It's Ric Flair coming down um, with his Real World Champion belt, um, and he, he's looking to get involved in the match. Interferes, um, and
0: you know distracts the referee, places a chair um, in the ring, and the Undertaker tombstones Hulk Hogan on the chair referee doesn't see a thing and it's one two three and we have a new champion um so that was shocking that the undertaker won. the title. but actually i want to talk about a couple other things here i think um first the crowd reactions so at this point i think you could see that hulk hogan wasn't as popular as he had been previously uh you know I, some people have over exaggerated it i think he was still over But it was like a john cena type reaction you felt as if the kids maybe the females in the audience were really cheering but you had to you could hear some booze there and certainly the undertaker um was getting some cheers and when you know he gets the the pen there is a a noticeable pop when you know the title change happens which i don't think hogan was happy with um i also heard at the time that they removed some signs which were in favor of the undertaker um, but the biggest story here is, did you see an interview with The Undertaker last year where he addresses this match? Uh,
1: well, I think that's, is that following the injury, the, the so-called injury? Is that what you're referring yeah, to? Yeah, because that's the biggest so story just, to come out of yeah. this. So just to give uh, a little bit, in the match itself, obviously, he's, he's, he's giving a tombstone on the chair. Um, Hulk Hogan is selling it, um, or what we think he's selling it. Um, you know, he's legged out, he's he's waiting a stretcher coming out um, or, or waiting the medics coming out. He eventually hobbles to the back, but he's, he's down for quite a while. It's the first time uh, you don't see Hulk Hogan down for very often. So, um, you know, obviously we're thinking that's just for the camera, but Hulk Hogan um, says he was hurt by this tombstone. Um, his neck uh, was jolted. Um, and he actually did go to hospital afterwards as well for a checkup. Spent the night there, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, he was so... supposed to cut promos at this event later on but he's in hospital yeah and um, that um, leads to everybody in the business saying the Undertaker has h- hurt Hulk Hogan uh, despite if you go back and watch it you know there's not actually physical contact between his head and the chair or the floor um, and I think that's what Hulk uh, Undertaker was referring to in well that's the
0: thing I mean going into this is what essentially happens that the Undertaker said that on the day of the event um, Hulk Hogan took him to one side and said look I'm a bit nervous about taking your finish and he goes you know I've got You know, I've got a neck issue and, you know, Taker says, look, I pride myself for not injuring anyone. But he says that during the day, anytime he bumps into Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan makes a gesture to his neck saying, you know, (laughs) take care. this really making him nervous. Um, And then, you know, as they have the match, um, the Undertaker says, you know, when he he does the first Tombstone. All he hears is um, Undertaker saying, oh, you got me, brother. So straight away, he's like nervous saying, oh, my God, I've kind of killed the golden goose here. And he's devastated backstage, and you know basically he goes into the room where Hogan is, and it's Vince McMahon's room, and he hides to protect Kofi. But you know Hogan is saying like you know he's in a bad way, but then he does watch the footage later on, and as you say, if you look at this tombstone, he's absolutely protected him. and, you know, you can't see where this injuries came. So I think this is Hulk Hogan playing his typical politics. And and Undertaker does say that he did walk up to him then later on Tuesday at Texas and say, look, I, I watched this and your head was nowhere near the, the canvas. And Hogan replies, oh, I think you held me too tight, brother.
1: Yeah, he, goes, <laughs> um, he held me too tight and jarred his Yeah, And, the, and, and head at head. that
0: point, Undertaker said he knew what the game was. But there you go. You know, it's such a turnabout from years later when the Undertaker is the locker room leader and nobody would mess with him that way but this was Hogan at his best when it came to politics he was losing the title but he was making sure that you know he he won the overall war here but there you go that's probably the more interesting aspect of this match than the match itself as you say Undertaker style here was very slow and Hogan was probably working a bit lazy as well so it's not a great match but definitely a, a big moment with the Undertaker winning his first title and shocking the audience.
1: Yeah, and following this, we had a couple of quick promos by uh, Ric Flair and Mr. Perfect just announcing the end of Hulkamania. We also had Roddy Piper, uh, who was shocked at what had happened. Um, You know, they seem to always go back to Roddy Piper as somebody who comments on, you know, what's happening in the ring or what's just happened. Uh, And he's just saying, you know, he's he's shocked and that Jack Tunney has to do something. And only very shortly after this does Jack Tunney himself announce that there's going to be a rematch at this Tuesday in Texas Again, just selling that event uh, as something that uh, everybody needs to tune into. Um, we've still got two matches to go, two elimination matches to go. The next one is um, a tag team affair. We've got the Rockers and the Bushwhackers against the Beverly Brothers and the Nasty Boys. Um You know, Beverly Brothers was a tag team that I forgot about until I went back and watched, and then obviously it came back to me. But I wasn't really that big a fan of the Beverly Brothers. They didn't really have that much charisma and uh, just generally wasn't a fan of their work. But they were involved in a bit of a feud with the Bushwhackers um, and, you know, the Rockers were having their own thing with the Nasty Boys over a period of time. But I suppose the most interesting thing is, again, is around the finish and maybe the Rockers themselves. Uh, And we're going to dedicate an episode um, on, you know, the Rockers around about this time. Uh, but Fash, what did you think of the match, the results and just how it ended?
0: Yeah, I, I do. Yeah, you see, we're going to do a rocker special so we'll discuss it in more detail and what leads to their split. But for me, it was an okay match, but it was more about the story, as you say. Um, Beverly Brothers, I mean, when you're called the Beverly Brothers and you have the look they have, they're never going to get over. Um, so I think Vincent helped them there. But in terms of match, I think it was okay. Um y- you know, it had its moments, but really it was about um, Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty and their equation. Um, in the end, you know, the, the 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 winners are the nasty boys in Blake Beverly, I believe. Um, but leading into this, I guess the key moment is um, Marty Jannetty accidentally um, helping the elimination of Shawn Michaels. Um, but the thing that I found funniest here was the commentary because Grill Monsoon and Bobby Heenan absolutely forget that Shawn Michaels was cleanly pinned, and they keep saying that he walked out on Marty Giannetti, so they absolutely screwed this up. That is the thing that I picked up more than I had to rewatch watch it. I had to re watch
1: because yeah. I thought I've well, actually missed something. Has he actually genuinely walked out? But no, he did get eliminated, and that's why he had to leave. There was a little bit of an argument between him and Marty in the ring. But this is in the midst of obviously you know a little bit of tension that the Rockers are, are facing. The Bushwhackers get eliminated early, as does one of the Beverly brothers. Uh, we've talked about Sean getting eliminated by um, you know Marty's accidental uh, involvement. Uh, it leaves Marty Ginetti one on three uh, against the Nasty Boys and Blake Beverly. Uh, he does a good job fighting back, but you know he's the odds are against him, and eventually the Nasty Boys overwhelm uh, Marty Ginetti and they win out. The winners. Um, So another win for the
0: Nasty Boys, Fash? Yeah, another useless win. And, you know,
1: Nasty Boys were on their way basically out here. I know they
0: were going to stick around for a bit longer, but they lost the titles and they were never going to get close to the tag team titles again. So once again, the placement of this match, I think it was because it's a bit of an odd show. But, you know, I guess bringing the audience back down, um, you know, after the title change is probably placed okay. And it was more about the storyline of the of the rockers more than anything else the bushwhackers as they were just there to be beaten
1: yep and that takes us on to the main event of the show our first match um another meant to be 4v4 elimination match but as uh, fast you've already mentioned this is cut down to a three on three where we've got uh the big boss man and legion of doom versus irs and the natural disasters Obviously, the, the, the story behind this um, well first all, I just want to comment that you know the reason uh, Legion of Doom are chosen to finish the match is because they are that damn popular. Um, uh, I've, I think I've mentioned already my um, uh, fandomship of, of that tag team. Uh, they've always looked immense. Uh, they've always been popular wherever they went. Um, and I think in the business at this time they were probably only behind Undertaker, possibly as the most popular popular wrestlers um, of the era. I don't know, yeah, I mean, I can see why they closed, I say, outside of anyone else in this card,
0: it was the LOD, and, you know, as you say, in the NWCW here as well, they're super over, I don't know if I'd go as far as saying, at this point, if they're, you know, just behind the Undertaker in terms of, you know, getting reactions or what have you, but to me, it was odd at the time, as a kid, and even now to a degree, because in the WWE, they hadn't really been positioned as those main eventers, because tag teams, hadn't and I think it would still work if it was the LOD with someone else quite big but with the big boss man and then you know IRS and Natural Disasters on the other side I just felt it's not a main event but once again because this is more of a setup for this Tuesday in Texas you get away with it I think there would have been no harm in having Matt Schuman and Jake the Snake Roberts here even if it was a little tussle they both get double disqualified or something you know um it would have been fine but we're just giving it that star power I think as you say LOD one of the greatest stars and super over but for me you know main event of a WWE event at this period it just felt a bit odd and the match itself is nothing to write home
1: about um, the LOD and the Big Boss Man will run out winners um, the Big Boss Man is eliminated first he's eliminated by IRS to continue their feud um, that leaves just a 3-on-2 situation we've then got um, Typhoon or Tugboat getting eliminated at that point Earthquake thinks you know what I've had enough of this nonsense uh, and takes Typhoon and to go to the back. IRS is shouting out, like, where are you going? Where are you going? Leaving me on um, with, obviously, two behemoths in, in the LOD. Uh, eventually, you know, he thinks I've had a knife as well, so he decides he's going to walk to the back. But uh, there is waiting the big boss man uh, to make sure that he returns to the ring and gets finished off by um, the Legion of Doom um so i mean there's stories within stories again this yeah, match is yeah. all about LOD against the natural disasters that title challenge is play, played up and then we've also got the big boss man in IRS with their little feud ongoing as well uh, and that's what i thought was always great about the Survivor Is they always had you know there was always a story behind each match
0: yeah and one thing i want to point out here is that you know not discussed here but there was something really odd about the original team's Um, And, you know, I like continuity and I don't like things that contradict. Um, Just earlier in the year, Jake the Snake Roberts and the Earthquake were in a blood feud. The Earthquake had squashed Jake's snake. He was scared of snakes, but here they're both cutting promos and their best mates just some five, six months later. And that was the thing where they just decided to move on, but it made zero sense. And even to this day, it makes zero sense.
1: Well, maybe he didn't love that snake as much as he thought he did.
0: So, actually, the event ends with a promo from The Undertaker as the new WWF champion. And he and Paul Bearer essentially say how they're going to, you know, get rid of Hulk Hogan once and for all. This essentially is a segue and final promotion for the next pay-per-view six days later this Tuesday in Texas, um, which we're going to talk about next.
1: But, I mean, what was your overall views on this event, Wax? Um, what would you rate it? I think you will we'll both remember it. I think for the opening match, which had a lot of talent in it, Rick Flair's debut. Um, and we'll also remember it for Undertaker becoming the world champion for the very first time. But in terms of wrestling, there wasn't very much um uh, good wrestling on the show. Um uh, the stories and the matches themselves weren't that well laid out. So I think overall and I have to go thumbs down um because there's only one or two bits that you know I really enjoyed. Yeah, and just going back to this, this is the first pay-per-view that I watched in real time, as
0: in this is the first one I think for you as well, that we watched at the time of this taking place, everything else was kind of older stuff we were watching, and at the time you loved it, right, but to me it's a mediocre show, when you watch it, there's not you know, it is an infomercial for the next event that they're trying to push, and nothing really is memorable, it's the Undertaker winning the title, so for me it's a, it's a thumbs down as well
1: um, our friend Dave Meltzer agrees with us fast. He thought this was the second worst pay-per-view of the year, not just in the WWF, but including WCW. He says the only reason this wasn't the worst of the year is because of the great American bash that followed Ric Flair's departure. Um, and had it not been for that, this would have been the worst. The other thing he said, which really stuck, uh, or struck a nerve for me, he called this um, the worst performance he'd seen by a commentator referring to Gorilla Monsoon. Now, I can sometimes understand that Gorilla and Heenan, you know, they can get a little bit irritating because they're constantly battling each other. But I also think that's part of their uh, the fun about that combination. So what do you have to say to Dave Meltzer? I think, you know,
0: Grill Monsoon is not your Jim Ross type of commentary, but they work so well for the time and the kind of characters that we send. Like, you know, Grill Monsoon and Bobby Heenan were a great combination was he calling everything properly no he did have a disaster with the whole as I say Shawn Michaels elimination and so that probably lost him some points but overall you know this is the era where these characters and you take them today over what we have so certainly I think um, Dave Meltzer just trying to get over again as he always does.
1: Yep. And typically that would be the end of the WWF calendar. There wouldn't be much else coming, but as we've talked about, uh, Tuesday, this Tuesday in Texas is going to follow only in six days time. Our next show is going to be dedicated to that event. Um, any last words, Fash? No, I think, you know, it was good to kind of uh, go through this event
0: again. Um, lots of different things happening once again, behind the scenes and on screen, but as an event, as I said, not the best. And actually you know i think the event we're going to talk about next is pretty mediocre as well so it's not the best way to close out 1991 but but things will be better on the horizon
1: yep so thanks very much for listening thanks for watching please do subscribe and like our videos uh, and check us out on spotify and any other podcasting channel that you use Um, he's fash i'm wax this is wrestling with memories and we'll see you soon